This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Last week, as we mentioned, a British court ruled that in order for the U.K. to go ahead with its plan of separating itself from the European Union, that it would need to get approval from British Parliament. That news threw a bit of a wrench into the process that people like Prime Minister Theresa May were not expecting. So what does this move away from the U potentially mean for the EU and for the U.K.? Michelle Egan is a professor at the American University School of International Studies, as well as a global fellow at the Wilson Center. She joins us on the phone, as does Olivier Chatin, who is associate professor of strategy and business policy at the department uh, and the, uh, I should say, associate professor in the strategy and business policy department at HEC Paris. He's also senior fellow at the Mac Institute here at the Wharton School, joining us on the phone as well. Michelle, Olivier, great to have you joining us today. Thank you, Dan. Morning, Michelle. Morning, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the impact of this move, uh, Olivier, for, for you from what you're reading over there in Europe, what is it right now? Well, the, the, the impact is simply to to create a bit more uncertainty as to the deadline uh, at which the Article 50 will be invoked. Uh, there's a sense that, uh, I mean, as we have seen before, the, the process of first the referendum and then triggering Article 50 uh, was not fully worked out before it happened. Uh, and now the question is whether Theresa May will be able to, to run a new bill through the, through the parliament, uh, assuming that the Supreme Court is not going to, to decide that uh, the Prime Minister has the authority to, to invoke Article 50. Uh, and so given if she can keep her majority intact, she can probably do that. Uh, but then, you know, there's going to be one more delay because even though she, if, if, even if she achieves invoking Article 50 by, I think, March, uh, a lot of things will be put in place because you still have uh, German and French elections coming up uh, and nothing serious will happen before these are resolved too. Michelle, what do you see as the uh, potential impact here? Well, there's been a tremendous backlash on the ground against the judiciary in Britain, which is obviously of concern. It's led to some uncertainty about whether Theresa May will meet her deadline to trigger Article 50 by March of next year. And the government has indicated it will appeal a decision uh, to the high court. And so now it won't be three judges. It will be 11 judges uh, deciding this case. I think the one issue that people have not taken away from this is that this does not negate the referendum result at all. And this was, for an American audience here, this was a legal question about the extent of executive authority. Mm -hmm. And it was a question that any court in any democracy does, the legal limits of government authority. Could they trigger Article 50 without parliamentary approval? Well, the, the, some of the articles have suggested that we may very well see a uh, a situation where we have to see a revote on this at some point in the next year or so, Michelle. Is that a possibility in your mind? No, I don't think that the court ruling was about uh, 
uh, they very much made the comment that this was an advisory referendum okay. and basically emphasized the importance of parliamentary sovereignty. This will not negate what is already a decision on a referendum. It will make it more complicated for Theresa May because she will have to consult with Parliament and members may have specific issues that they want her to include in negotiations. It is interesting, uh, Olivia, because of, of the fact that Theresa May, as you mentioned, and, and Michelle did as, did as well, she had basically laid out this timetable already and, and really wanted to get this going uh, in the first few months of 2017. Uh, is there going to be a bump in the road to get get proceedings started at that point in your mind? Uh, well, because we speak for the, the details of the parliamentary procedures uh, in, in the UK, but definitely there's, you know, there's always a bit of a skepticism as to that deadline was going to be met or not, and that's one more factor to to make people wonder whether this will be tenable or, or not. Uh, and uh, I understand that she's trying to to preempt that and to to make to to have a bill ready in case the Supreme Court is not uh, turning down the, the decision. But will this work or not? Will there be uncertainty? Is it the case that some people in the parliament will try to to, to slow down the process or not? These are, big, these are things that from the outside seem a bit uh, obscure, and the deadline was a bit aggressive. And with, will this deadline be met? We don't know yet. What is the, the temperature of parliament right now, Michelle, in regards to this? Well, the issue is all over the map. Um, on the one hand, conservative MPs know that their own constituencies, by and large, in large numbers, voted to leave. So they have to be concerned about, you know, they do have a mandate from their own constituency. The Labour Party has also sort of indicated very different views. You know, Corbyn has been back and forward arguing that, you know, access to the single market, free movement. He's not been consistent and neither has other members of his party like Umna. And so you see a variety of views coming here about, you know, what do we want? And I think that's the big issue is, you know, the terms hard and soft Brexit are misleading. There'll be a lot of negotiations on a lot of issue areas. And there's a tendency in Britain to think that they will be leading the charge. And as, as we've heard, you know, there are 20 other seven states who will have a voice in this negotiation. So then uh, what do you expect to be a timetable, assuming this does move forward on the uh, on the timeline that Theresa May uh, laid out in terms of when she would like to get this started? Well, the argument is that once Article 50 is triggered, there will be a two-year process of negotiations to withdraw, and then there'll be subsequent negotiations about a new trade deal. But that is, some people argue they think she'll try and get a transitional deal to sort of extend it because it's so complicated and difficult, especially if we do lose access to the single market. Remember, 45% of our exports will be affected if we don't have access to the single market. And in the financial services sector, that's about 80% of our GDP. 
844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call, 844-942-7866. We're joined by Michelle Egan uh, from American University, also Olivier Chatan, who is a senior fellow here at the uh, Mac Institute at the Wharton School here at the University of Pennsylvania. Again, 844-942-7866, or if you like, you can't get to your phone, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, with the, which is at DanLoney21. Olivier, with the reaction, uh, or I should say, with this decision coming down, what's kind of been the reaction in amongst the other members of the EU that you've heard? Uh, reaction has been some skepticism, again, at uh, Theresa May's uh, ability to, to really meet the deadline. So I think the, the attitude is even more wait-and-see than, than before. Uh, it's clear that from the outside there is a bit of a struggle as to what should be the definition, the position for the UK going into the, the negotiations. Uh, it's not clear that uh, Theresa May's government has sorted it out itself within themselves, uh, as we had a lot of uh, delay as to, okay, we, all we heard was that Brexit meant Brexit, but we still don't know what it means. Uh, and there's a sense where the, the UK government doesn't want to show its hand too early. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, but then will they have to answer to pressures from their MPs to, to commit a bit more to some broad objectives or not, uh, which may matter a lot to the subsequent negotiations. And so, with from the outside, it's still a lot seems very confused. Uh, and uh, practically, since negotiations have officially not even started, there's just yeah. no nothing is happening, and oh, even less. Fewer things are even happening. Well, and there's also been a, a few articles written up that that suggest uh, a possibility could be what is being called a partial Brexit. I, I guess, first of all, dig into what that actually would mean, and is that a possibility, Olivier? Yeah, so I, I did some exercise with some of my students showing the, the implication of having a hard deadline to finish the negotiations. And one of the surprising outcomes was among my students who are coming from all over Europe was a lot of skepticism that an agreement could be could be could be had, uh, because on the one hand, uh, it felt it was felt that the, the remaining EU members were not very happy with, really cared about the integrity of the, of the single market and the European Union, so we're not willing to give a great deal in the first place, especially around issues of immigration and movement of people. But at the same time, if you look at the, let's say, the political uh, support that Theresa May has, these are issues that are almost redlined for the hardcore Brexiter. And it seemed unclear that these two things could be reconciled. So I, I, I remember being more pessimistic after having done that exercise with my students and not as to whether even a partial Brexit could, could be achieved because it seems that both sides may not be willing to compromise enough to, to meet each other. M M Michelle? I agree. I think there are uh, still efforts to try and put a negotiating position together if the government loses its appeal, it will be forced to introduce primary legislation, what we might call a Brexit bill. And that will then be subject to discussion in Parliament. And that's where I think you'll see members try and say, we'd like this as a concession. We'd like this on the negotiating table. Remember that, you know, the hard Brexit people want uh, removal from the single market. But those in the Scottish Nationalist Party want a single market for Scotland. And you've got some in the Labour Party that want members 
membership of the customs union, access to the single market, limiting migrant numbers, even ending the authority of the European Court of Justice. So different people want very, very different things. That's what makes this so much uncertainty. 844-942-7866 is the number if you'd like to join in. 844-942-7866 is the number. We're talking about the latest on Brexit. Your comments are welcome. If you cannot get to your phone, then send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Uh, Olivier, uh, the expectation here is is that we will see some level of Brexit happen when? Within the next year or two? Uh, because you said the time frame of this is is kind of a tricky thing right now. Uh, Theresa May has an expectation, but a, a lot of people figure that you know the members of the EU may want to string this out a little bit. Well, so even assuming she meets her deadline to trigger Article 50, Article 50 sets up another two-year-long process. And given the, the sheer complexity of of unwinding all the EU uh, treaties in in the UK, uh, I would not expect anything, any agreement to be reached, if there's one to be reached, before until the end of those two years. So we're talking about, uh, at best, you know, March or April, uh, let's say March 2019, for, for Brexit to actually happen. Then, if that actually did happen, then what were, where would the biggest impact be? Would it be with the with the currency issues? Well, a lot of the currency issues have been already baked in with yeah. uh, the, the, the dramatic fall of the pound. Uh, now, what what we don't know is actually you know we've already had some impact on the investment. So you had Nissan who got a lot of reassurance from the UK government in terms of uh, being guaranteed that any damage damage caused by Brexit will be uh, taken care of in, in some ways. Uh, but this is very much an opportunistic uh, way of dealing with that issue. There's no, there's no yet any comprehensive plan to deal with the consequences of an, of an agreement that has not even been right. decided yet. So this is where the... So what I'm fearing is more you know, a small drip of lack of investment over the next two years until these things are clarified. Then, Michelle, I'll ask you, where are the areas of, I don't necessarily want to say concern, but of interest to you as this all kind of plays out? Absolutely. It's, the question is, is whether we go for and get a negotiation with the EU or whether we fall back on WTO commitments. I think the first issue I would say is we don't have any customs formalities on our exports or imports. And so we've got the single market for goods and many services that we sell in the EU. What will happen if we do no longer have that? And then sort of trade agreements, if we do have one with the EU, have to have sort of reasonable access on a sectoral basis. So I can see the auto sector being affected because of global supply chains. We can see perhaps um, other areas, perhaps agriculture. We get a great deal of uh, financial assistance from the common agricultural policy, and there are indications from some of the organizations that about 40% of British farms might be insolvent without subsidy of agriculture. So it'll be up to the UK government to say, what will we do to replace some of this funding that we get in specific areas? Mm -hmm.
What uh, what does this do? And, and obviously, one of the issues that has been discussed uh, both uh, with Brexit and, and uh, here in the United States over the last few months, a uh, few months, has been this this push towards nationalism. Uh, what does you know? Does this have any impact on that going forward in your mind, Michelle? Well, the first thing is, is I think every country, every election is unique, obviously. And one of the things I would say is referendums and elections aren't the same. Um, But I will say this, thinking about it, we have seen a surge of sort of nationalism. We have seen uh, a great deal, some concerns people have had about xenophobia and so forth. But I also think we ought to remember that this was an unprecedented vote. 72% of the people showed up to vote, so the turnout was high. And about 2.8 million people, that's 6% of our electorate, hadn't voted for decades, and they, or if ever, and they showed up on these polling stations last June. So yes, this is a segment of nationalism, but it's also, and it was a national popular vote, but it was also a whole variety of issues. There's a tremendous amount of income inequality in Britain, and there was a feeling that we have an unbalanced economy centered around the city of London. So I would argue there were multiple reasons for why people voted. What uh, what other pieces could we see kind of play out here, uh, obviously, as these negotiations uh, uh, move forward? Because there's obviously been a lot of talk uh, about uh, about some of the other pieces to the U.K. maybe not being in line with making this move. Michelle? In terms of, could you elaborate a little well, bit? Well, I mean, we've we've heard uh, the conversations regarding Scotland as, as being one of the areas, if, if memory serves me, that, that, you know, people were not exactly 100% in line with making this move. Absolutely. They are, there are deep concerns, especially as uh, we have to also remember that in Scotland, about the same amount of people voted to leave as did the number of Labour supporters in the UK. Right. Granted, most of the people who voted to leave were English, but we have a great deal of concern in Scotland about access to the single market. And we also have even more concern in Ireland because the Good yeah. Friday Agreement uh, between Northern Ireland or Britain and the Southern Ireland for the peace process basically sort of allowed for a free borderless island for people to move, for businesses to move. And the concern is, is it will create a new hard border. That will be our new border. There are going to be legal challenges, definitely. They've indicated today in Northern Ireland or yesterday that they're going to have some legal challenges to actually have a role in Brexit and a say as devolved authorities. So I would imagine the same issue will happen in Scotland. Very, very difficult to... Theresa May wants to uh, negotiate as Britain as a whole, but there's a resistance from the regions about that. Is there, I was going to say, is there a, a, a possible concern that we may see uh, pieces of the UK uh, you know, end up going the way of the Brexit and other pieces not? That would be very hard. Theresa May wants to negotiate as Britain as a whole, and given the fact that the court ruling indicated that Parliament was sovereign, that Parliament right now is in London. I expect to see legal challenges coming from Scotland and Northern Ireland about what role they will play, what access they will have, and so forth. But we can imagine that this is, as we talked about earlier, a period of high degree of both legal, political, and economic uncertainty. 
We're joined uh, by Michelle Egan of American University and Olivia Chatan, uh, who's a senior fellow at the Mac Institute here at the Wharton School. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number if you'd like to join in and uh, ask a question or give us a call. Uh, Michelle, what, what does this also do for Theresa May? I mean, obviously she was put right in the midst of this, uh, and... and I, I wonder what this does for Theresa May as a leader for the U.K. going forward. I think that the government has indicated that they will certainly appeal, but she would then still not uh, discount what was a referendum result. And she stated very clearly Brexit means Brexit. And she has assured her counterparts in Europe that despite this high court ruling, um, that there will likely be a debate and discussion in Parliament if they lose, and they will introduce primary legislation, i.e. to leave, to trigger Article 50. That will not change. She's also cognizant of the fact that right now, given the fact we had an election in 2015 that elected David Cameron, yeah. that she does have a parliamentary majority. So she is in that. She's got fractions within her own party, but she does have a majority. What is what is really the, the view on David Cameron right now? And obviously it's been a few months since uh, since this all played out. And, and obviously I think a lot of people have looked at, you know, maybe David Cameron made a tactical mistake uh, in this. Uh, he decided to step away from this. How is David Cameron viewed now a few months after the fact? Michelle? Per personally, I think that, you know, he took a high risk. And obviously, if he'd have taken perhaps other advice and put a threshold on this, you know, meeting 55% or 60%, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But I think some people will argue that, you know, while he uh, took it to the brink on the Scottish referendum, he tried to do the same thing with the uh, Remain campaign. Yeah. But, you know, what we're finding now is that um, he will probably be remembered for this uh, as a major, major error. This was all about him trying to control his party management. This was not really about um, perhaps broadly about the EU as well. So I think he will be judged perhaps depending on who you ask, maybe judged well, judged harshly, depending if you're a Remainer or a Brexiter. I think it depends where you are on the political spectrum. Uh, great to have you both joining us. Michelle Olivier, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Olivia. Michelle Egan from the American uh, University School of International Studies. Olivia Chatan uh, from HEC Paris and also senior fellow here at the Mac Institute at the Wharton School. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.